So I want to start this morning by talking to you about a one-off event, something that will never occur again, something that's almost indescribable in its significance and consequence. Now there might be some wives here thinking that was the one time your husband put the toilet seat down, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about something a bit more important than that. I want to talk to you this morning to begin with about the Big Bang. The Big Bang. Now I'm sure in the room there may well be a range of views and opinions on the creation of the world. I just want to say that's fine, in fact that's great. That's partly what community is all about. The fact we all have different opinions and views. But essentially the Big Bang is what astronomers and scientists have landed on as science's best attempt to describe the start of the universe. In 1929, the astronomer Edwin Hubble put forward the thesis that galaxies are all, well, receding away from each other at a tremendous rate of speed. And so they all began billions and billions and billions of years ago at one single point, and ever since, they've all been moving away from each other. Another physicist called George Gamow, he coined this the Big Bang. And there's all kinds of like spectrums of light that they've been able to trace to show this movement away from a single central point. So the conclusion was this, that all the billions and billions of stars and galaxies and planets, they all originated in one tiny point 12 or so billion years ago. There was nothing, and then in an instant, there was something. Nothing, then something. And that, to me, actually screams of a creator. The God who spoke the universe into being. Nothing, and then something. It's mind-boggling stuff. And what scientists refer to this as is a singularity. A singularity. A mass with no dimension, infinite density, no physical size, and then suddenly, there it was. And the reason they call this a singularity it's sort of a way of saying we don't really understand how it happened. We don't really know how this thing happened. A singularity. It's unique. It's majestic. It's unexplainable. It's the divine work of the great artist, the great creator. So what's so awesome about this? That's quite a, a big question. I understand. But so I'm going to think about a few of these things. So at one million of a million second after the beginning, all of the universe was packed into the, the size smaller than a proton. If you think about that, a millionth of a million second after the Big Bang or whatever it was happened, the entire universe was packed into the size of a proton. And even then there were two basic dangers at play. It could have expanded too fast and collapsed upon itself, or not collapsed, or not expanded fast enough and no life would have formed. And we know that if the universe had been even minutely different from the very start, then life would not have arisen. In the tiniest variation in temperature, chemical composition in these first moments, then we wouldn't be here now. If you imagine this whole wall here was covered in dials, and all of these dials needed to be tuned in to the exact point for life to happen. I don't know about you, but it just makes me think of a creator. I don't know how anything else like this could have happened. You think of all the millions and millions of different variations that could have taken place right at that moment of life, seconds after things 
burst into being. But 14 billion years ago, the exact conditions necessary for life took place. It's estimated there are about 10,000 grains of sand in a handful of sand, if you went to the beach now and picked it up. But scientists tell us there are more stars in the universe than grains of sand on the Earth. Think of all the beaches. The UK has about 20,000 miles of coast. The US about 84,000 miles of coast. Think of every beach, every hidden cove, every stretch of coastline on the Earth today. And there are more stars in the universe. Our atmosphere has been called a miracle. If it was any percentage different, one way or the other, we wouldn't be able to live. The exact makeup of oxygen. The Earth's tilt, 23.5 degrees, is precise. If it was 24, 22, we wouldn't be here. We obviously rely on, on the sun, and you could fit a million Earths into the size of the sun. And it would take, check out this, this is a good stat, it would take the gross national product of the United States for seven million years to power the sun that enabled those elements to be created. Thermonuclear synthesis. Incredible. Our bodies are made up of tiny, tiny cells. Millions and millions and millions of cells. And these cells are so complicated, they're almost like functioning little cities. Little Londons or little New York. Every single one of them. The physicist Lewis Thomas addressed the fact that we each begin as a single cell in our mother's womb like this. He said, the mere existence of these special cells should be one of the great astonishments of the earth. One group of cells is switched on to become the whole trillion cell, massive apparatus for thinking and imagining. All the information needed for learning to read and write, playing the piano, the marvelous act of putting one hand and leaning against a tree is contained all in that first cell. All of grammar, all of arithmetic, all of music. It's incredible, isn't it? You listen to something like a Beethoven symphony, Mozart, maybe an amazing painting. And the person that wrote that started off as a single cell. Is it any wonder that in Romans 1, Paul wrote these words? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their own unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. It's so true, isn't it? When you look at everything that God has made. And this is a, a slight side note, and this could be a whole other talk. But doesn't the wonder of the incarnation of Jesus into human form become all more wondrous when you think about the fact that he too will have started as a cell in Mary's womb? The Bible tells us that Jesus was there at the beginning, that all things were made through him, that through him all things are held together, the Alpha and the Omega. This is Jesus, part of the Godhead, and he reduced himself to a single cell in Mary's womb, so he could be born among us. Incredible. And if one of us, if we were to suddenly all go on a little uh, field trip and we were to stand in front of the Taj Mahal, we'd all be a bit sweaty, but we wouldn't stand in front of the Taj Mahal and say, gosh, what a great accident. What a, 
what a turn of events that was, that turned out. Or maybe if we came back from that trip and we went to Durham and we put our jumpers back on and we stood inside Durham Cathedral. You can't stand in Durham Cathedral and think, wow, they just built this as they went along. No, we look at these wondrous things and we think that had an architect. It had a design, it had a plan and they followed it precisely. Yet people across the world look at our universe and they think about, like I've touched on briefly, all the infinite number of variations that could have been yet were not, so we could be here today. And they think, gosh, what a great accident that I'm here. And that life across the universe was precisely formed so we could be here. That singularity, that moment of creation explosion of life and we know that there was some someone present at that moment the book of Genesis says there was someone present as life exploded into being and it was the spirit of God the spirit of God we read in Genesis that the spirit of God was hovering over the void brooding over the nothingness the Hebrew word here is ruach which means God's breath. And it just sounds like breath when you say it. I think it's a lovely word. And it means, or it describes an eagle fluttering its wings over its young. What an amazing image. You think of the nothingness, the void, and there the Holy Spirit was with its wings outstretched, brooding over creation, fluttering, breathing life into being. So why this morning have I begun by speaking about creation? You, you think, oh, gosh, I, I hated science at school, and now we're getting a science lesson. Well, there is some logic to this. Because in the Bible, there was, an, there was another moment like this. In some ways, it was entirely different. But in some ways, it was very much the same. Where the Spirit of God was hovering and brooding, and then something new burst into life there was a waiting and an anticipation and then an explosion and that was Pentecost and that's why we celebrate Pentecost Sunday today because at Pentecost the Holy Spirit fell onto the followers of Jesus as they waited in that upper room and the church of Jesus Christ was born today's our birthday Pentecost Sunday Jesus had ascended back to the right hand of the Father after his resurrection. And he told his followers, gather together and wait for the Holy Spirit and power on high. And so there they were, all together, waiting. And just like creation, there would have been a moment before the moment. There was a nothing. And then suddenly, the Holy Spirit fell and the church was born. And just like the way God created the universe from the start, from the very second he put everything in place that it would need to survive and flourish, in the same way God had put everything in place so his church would expand and flourish. Everything was in place when the Holy Spirit fell and the believers were together. And now today, 2,000 years ago, the same Holy Spirit is here with us and in you. Nothing has changed Nothing has changed. And I'll just read from Acts 2. It says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, 
They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So in Genesis, the Holy Spirit breathed life into being. And in Acts, the Holy Spirit breathed the church into being. Or as Eugene Peterson puts it, in Genesis we see the birth of holy creation. And in Acts we see the birth of holy community. Holy creation and holy community. And we are here today because of both of those acts of God. Those two singularities, unexplainable moments. We are here today because of both of them. We are here today, obviously, because God spoke the universe into being. Let there be light. And there was light. We are here today because he put in place everything that was needed for life to form. And we are also here today because he spoke the church of Jesus into being through his Holy Spirit. And we stand here today, or I know you're sitting, but we stand here today with two advocates pleading our case. We have Jesus in heaven. He's still in human form. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but when he ascended to heaven, he was in human form, and that hasn't changed. I don't know how that, how that works, uh, but he's up there in human form, or, or maybe not up there, wherever that is. He's in human form, and the Bible tells us that Jesus is praying for us. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I don't know if you've ever read that, but in Hebrews it says that Jesus is praying for you. He's advocating your case. He's praying for you. Isn't that amazing? And then Jesus said, we also have a second advocate, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is here to empower us, to do the works of Jesus, to teach us, to help us, to guide us. And I can imagine when Jesus ascended, the disciples must have felt so sorrowful and they must have missed him deeply. But the incredible thing is, is that with the Holy Spirit, we are closer to God than they would have been with Jesus in person. Because the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And as close as they were to Jesus, he wasn't inside of them. They had to be physically with him to be close to him. But then he ascended, the Holy Spirit fell, and every single person who believes in Jesus becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. We sang in that song, no longer in a temple, in us you abide. You see, before Jesus' death, only once a year could the great high priest enter into the temple and they would tie a rope around his waist in case he died because the presence of God was so strong so they could pull him back out again. That was the measure of God's presence. That was the fear the people had. And then we read the temple curtain was torn in two. The temple curtain was ripped in half and God's presence flowed out across the entire globe. This is the reality of us. We are closer to God now than Jesus' disciples were. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And after the last two years of, I would fair to say, a bit of chaos, it's felt like a bit of a void and a chasm, the Holy Spirit hasn't been taking a break. 
The Holy Spirit has been hovering and brooding and breathing life. For a lot of us, the pandemic has maybe felt like a hiatus or maybe we feel like we've actually taken backward steps in that time. Maybe we feel like our faith has been shaken, but the Holy Spirit has been at work. And the Holy Spirit is breathing on this community, this church. You know, since the turn of the year, I think we've had, I would look at Mike if he was here to correct me, but I think we've had something like 100 new people walk into one of our services since the turn of the year. And a great number of them have continued to come back. At Revive in the evenings, there's been an amazing just sense of God's presence over the last few months. About a month or so ago, we were worshipping, and then all of a sudden, a whole load of new people just walked in at the back, and literally within minutes, they were all just overwhelmed by the presence of God. They were all in tears, and all of them gave their lives to Jesus. At one point, I looked over, and one of them had fallen face first in front of the cross over there. So overwhelmed was he by God's love and God's presence. Isn't that the sort of stuff we long to see? Well, it's happening. It's happening. Every week in our services, new people walk in. A couple of weeks ago at Revive, a guy walked in. I'd never seen him before. We had a little chat. He stayed for the whole worship set about half an hour. And then he was just sort of taking himself out. And I said, great to meet you. And he said, yeah, I was on the way to the pub to meet my wife. And I just felt like I needed to come in. He said, my wife won't have a clue where I am. I said, that's fine, you go and, go and find your wife. But the sound of worship, God's presence is drawing people in. God is at work. God is at work in this community, breathing life. And what we believe in the vineyard is that when Jesus died and then rose from the dead, and when Pentecost happened, the age to come began then. And this is a bit complicated, but we believe that Jesus will come again. At some point, Jesus will come again. And a new heaven and a new earth will be formed. But that age began when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And we live in that in-between. We live in the overlap. And what that means for us, because of Pentecost, all the power of the age to come is available to us now when we say, come Holy Spirit. So we know in the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no sickness, no death. Every tear will be wiped away. And that means we can pray now for the sick to be healed and the oppressed to be set free. It means God's presence can move in power and we don't have to convince him to come. We don't have to have smoke machines and we don't have to be hyped about it. We can just say, God, come and meet us. And all of the power of the age to come is available to us because the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. George Ladd, who wrote a book called The Gospel of the Kingdom, said this, the indwelling of the Spirit is the down payment of that life which we shall one day experience in its fullness. This means that already we have within us the life of heaven. The future has already begun. The powers of the age to come have penetrated this age. While we still live in present evil age and while Satan is still God of this age, we may taste the powers of the coming age. Now a taste is not a seven-course banquet. We still look forward to the glorious consummation and fulfillment of that which we have only tasted. Yet a taste is real. It is more than promise. It is realization. It is experience. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, I don't know about you, 
But I love the idea of a seven-course banquet. <laughs> I mean, that just sounds glorious, doesn't it? But until we get there, I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. I don't know about you. I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to say, come Holy Spirit, and keep saying it for the rest of my life. And so every time I say it, I expect the Holy Spirit to come and meet with us. See, because the Holy Spirit isn't a feeling. He's not a sort of an emotion. He's not like a sort of Zen uh, sense. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's part of the Trinity. He's entirely God and part of the three people in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when we say Holy Spirit, come, we're speaking to a person. And we're inviting that person to increase Because the Holy Spirit is present, God is present everywhere at all times. My six-year-old keeps asking me, how can God be everywhere and also at one place? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm a pastor. I'm a hypocrite. But, (laughs) But also the Holy Spirit can manifest his presence at any moment to a greater extent. The Bible is full of these stories. Moses encountered a burning bush. I'm guessing he'd walked past that bush a hundred times. And then suddenly on one day, the presence of God was there burning in front of him. God's presence can manifest when we invite him to come and meet him. And so often it's when we put ourselves out and say, God, would you come? That's when he responds. You know, and it's it's easy. It's easier for us in church to come, sing a song, hear a preach, you know, keep our hands in the pockets and go home. That's, That's easy and that's okay. But we want to be people that gives God space to move. Gives God space to speak to us. Because the Holy Spirit is real. He's he's a physical reality. A few months ago we had Steve Nicholson, who's a vineyard pastor in America. He shared his story. And he'd grown up in Pentecostal churches. So he knew all about the Holy Spirit. But he talked about how... He didn't realize, he actually had to have an encounter with God where he physically got hit in the chest. And he said, it suddenly dawned on him that I hadn't been believing in the Holy Spirit as a physical reality. So when we say, come Holy Spirit, sometimes we weep. Sometimes we shake. Sometimes we feel joyful. And that's okay, because the Holy Spirit is a physical reality. In 2017, a few of us, we go to the, uh, the Vineyard National Worship Retreat every year. Um, and a few of us had gone down. And me and Jeff were in the, in the meeting. Jeff's our worship pastor. And we were sort of what would be over there in, in the back corner. And someone at the front just started to say during the worship, let it rain. Let it rain. And it literally began to rain on me and Jeff in the corner. We were getting water running down the back of our neck and in little pools on our hand. Whenever we go now, we're known as the the lads it rained on. The Holy Spirit is a reality. And you might be sitting there going, well, why on earth would he do that? Maybe there was a hole in the ceiling. And I say this, all I felt in that moment was overwhelmed by God's love. Overwhelmed by God's love. That the God who initiated all of creation would meet us in that way so we would feel his presence. That same retreat, at one point, I really felt moved to go to the front and read a little passage from Revelation. And it's the passage where John looks up to the throne room in heaven and the door opens. And he sees all the creatures and the elders bowing before God. And as I read that out at the front, I literally had an out-of-body experience where it felt like the room had melted away in front of me. 
And I suddenly got the tiniest percentage of experience of what it must have been like in that room. I felt like I was either going to die or burst with joy. And it lasted about 10 seconds. And I don't even know if anyone else in the room felt the same. (laughs) Probably not. But I have always taken with me that incredible 1%, whatever it is, 0.1% sensation of being in God's presence. The Holy Spirit is real. And he wants to meet with us. So, as we move, we want to move into a bit of response. And I don't know where you're at today. I'm sure we've all got a lot of things going on. But we want to give the Holy Spirit space to meet with us.